Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. I'd like to invite up uh, our dear friend Marcia Grimm, who oversees our homeless ministry, to share a special announcement with us. So please join me in welcoming up Marcia. Um, as you know, we're in the midst of a collection of blankets and sleeping bags and warm clothing for the guests that come to our laundry shower ministry. And I asked Pastor Michael if I could just say something, because I know that what we're asking is a sacrifice. We're either asking you to give up something you own or buy something for someone you don't even know. But I want you to know that When you donate, you're not just providing for people's physical needs. You truly are helping the ministry team to meet deeper psychological, emotional, spiritual needs of um, people living on the street. And by way of quick example, um, recently a young lady who is a guest in our ministry called me over and she said, Marsha, I just want you to know that this is my last time to be here. And I said, oh, I hope that's a good thing. And, um, and she said, I'm going into a domestic violence shelter. And my sister promised that if I stay in there for a month and I finish the program, that she'll let me stay with her. But what she said next is what really gripped my heart. She said, this wouldn't be possible without this ministry. And then she said that... Um, if it weren't for this ministry, that she wouldn't have had the courage to leave her abusive boyfriend and push the reset button on her life. And I just looked at her and I said, how did we help you do that? And she said, because you reminded me that I am worth it. And so, um, sorry, I just, I want you to know that, um, when you donate, you're helping the team to really show God's love and care to people who have forgotten that they matter. So thank you. This is a reading uh, from the gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter, starting in verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who already went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. 
But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that through it now, that you would speak that it would come alive for us in a fresh way. Lord, would you give us open ears to hear your voice? And would you give us open hearts to receive and to respond to all that you bring to us today? And we offer this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you're doing well. We've been in a series on God's love, and I hope that you've been impacted as I have been through this time together. Two Fridays ago, we uh, concluded our fall small groups, and and at the end of that time, we we created some space for for people to share just kind of what God's been doing in their life in uh, this season, Uh, and it's just been such a a great time, and and there are just some amazing uh, testimonies shared, and and one in particular really tied to this theme we've been in of God's love, and so I just thought I would love for that to be shared with the entire church. Uh, It's just so encouraging, so I want to just invite you to join me in giving the warmest welcome for our friend, Maddie Hansen. <laughs> so Maddie, thank you so much for being willing to share. And we'd just love to hear how have you been experiencing God's love in, in this season? Okay. <clears throat> um, so Pastor Michael emailed me last night. Well, emailed me a few days ago and asked um, if I would share. And I said, yeah, sure. And I had intended to just share um, what I had wrote that night, but I have a little extra. Go Is for that it. okay? Okay. Go for it. <laughs> um, so, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to you um, just for inviting me to share today. Um, I'm really humbled and um, super grateful, and I'm going to try to do this without crying as much as I can. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name's Maddie, um, and my husband Paul um, and I have been attending here for a couple of months. Um, we visited here on what we thought was a whim, but um, it turned out to be divine ordination of a good, good God. One of the many reasons we decided to settle down here was um, the Practicing the Way of Jesus groups. Um, following Jesus as a community um, has been something that um, God has been speaking to our hearts for probably over two years now. But by the time we arrived here, we were really broken. Um, dang it. <laughs> Um, as a family, we've had a year. Um, okay, I'm going to try to do it. <laughs> um, the cruises modeled being vulnerable so well, so I'm going to do something scary, and I'm going to share something hard. Um, this past year, we became um, foster parents to an incredible baby girl, and um, she was also medically fragile. Um, fragile is not the right word for her because she was not fragile. She was fierce. Over the course of our time with her and her time with us, um, the best way to describe it is to say that I broke. It became evident that the level of care that she needed was really beyond what I could give. Um, 
by God's grace, that beautiful girl is with an incredible foster mom who's also a superhero and a nurse. Um, But letting her go felt like a failure. I wish I could describe the shame, but I think I probably don't have to because I know looking around that we all have stories, so you probably know what that's like. I tell you this to let you know where I was at when I came and first sat in these chairs. And at the conclusion of the Practicing the Way groups, um, we were asked, like Pastor Michael said, to write a reflection of what it was like for us. And so I want to read to you what I wrote. In these weeks, I've found freedom. Freedom from judgment, freedom from shame, and freedom to love. God has never failed to meet me each week through his people and in each practice as I've sought him. I've discovered for the first time how to walk in God's love daily and how to participate in kingdom life, how to turn from sin management, and how to trust the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. But God is saying to me more, to press in more, to surrender further, to taste and see more, and to continue into this life of abundance and love. I'm arrested with God's care for me in showing me all of this and in his outrageous love for me. I'm learning to trust the truth that God's love is the best agent for change in human hearts and that being in the presence of God is like liquid love poured out for me. I don't have to change myself. I can present myself over and over again to the way of Jesus to offer what I have and his love will do the work. I'm not the same um, as I was um, three months ago. I'm still healing I'm still questioning and wrestling, but I have met with the love of God, and maybe in just a tiny way, something is cracked open. I'm learning that God's love is big enough to allow for my humanity and my limitations, and that I can present myself as I am to be used by God. Thank you. Heidi, thank you so much, Paul. Thank you so much, you guys. You guys are a blessing to our community. We're honored just by your story and your journey with us. And I don't know, it's just kind of hard to, to move on. It was just such a holy moment. And just, but but I, I hope you can just feel the sense that God, God's been at work in a special way uh, with his love among us. So I just pray that will continue uh, in the season, in the years and months and, and weeks to come. And so we've, we've been in the series on, on God's love and, and, and uh, plan to revisit that theme in the new year. But today I, I felt led to pivot uh, and, and kind of share something that I, I feel God has uh, put on uh, my heart. And, and the passages we're, we're looking at today sort of anticipate some Advent themes. Advent is the season we're heading into in a couple weeks, but that's actually not why I'm preaching these passages. It's actually just birthed out of a deep sense uh, that I have that God is, is, is doing and is about to do something really special among us and that he wants us to be ready. And so that's kind of the sense I want you to have as we look at these passages together. But think of it like this. Uh, next week is Thanksgiving, right? And so I'm sure some of you will be having guests over to your home. And, and so imagine you're having a really special guest who will be joining you for Thanksgiving, someone you really love, someone you respect, someone you admire, someone uh, who you want to honor 
with your hospitality, someone you want to spend time with, and, you know, just kind of the, the kind of person that makes you want to pull out all the stops, you know, your best meal, your, your, your best place setting, all that stuff. But suppose Thanksgiving rolls around and you oversleep, and at the crack of noon, <laughs> you hear a knock on your door. And you've done nothing to prepare. There's no food ready. There's no drinks. The house is a mess. Uh, your, your hair is a mess. You're still in your PJs. You're up so late watching Netflix or whatever it was. You just totally slept through your alarm. And now you are totally unprepared. You see, this is the sort of situation that Jesus wants to anticipate and avoid when he begins to move among us in an even greater measure and when he visits us in a deeper way with his presence and and his power and and his love. Now, we're looking today at a famous parable found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there or you can follow along on the screens. And really, the message of this parable is simple. And it's that Jesus is coming, therefore, we need to be ready that Jesus is coming, therefore we need to be ready. Now, on the one hand, that's a simple message, but sometimes the simplest messages are the most challenging. And I do believe that the Lord has a word of challenge for us uh, in this message, but also a word of encouragement, a deep word of encouragement in uh, this time. Now, fair warning, I, I've only preached on this passage once, but the one time I did preach on this passage, the craziest thing happened. So this is back when we were meeting downstairs in the basement beneath us. That's where we started. Uh, and, and as as soon as I began to preach on this passage, some of you you remember this, uh, all the lights in the building went out. It was the craziest thing. Thankfully, somebody was prepared. Somebody had a cell phone, turned on the flashlight, gave it to me. So I literally preached this passage by cell phone light. It was the wildest thing. I think Darren took a picture of that one. <laughs> but, uh, and then the, but it even got crazier because as soon as I said, okay, sermon's over, we're done, all the lights came back on. And it felt like a prophetic sign, like God was saying, hey, I want you to listen to this message. And, and I have just a similar sense of just a way around this passage for us uh, today. Now, in this passage, Jesus is describing the condition of the church in the time preceding his return, his second coming. And, and he tells us that this will be a time in which the church has fallen into a deep sleep, a, a deep slumber. And so he gives a warning here to keep watch, to be ready, to be prepared because he is coming. Now, to communicate this point, he, he tells a story, as he often does. And the scene here is of a wedding. This would have been a familiar scene for Jesus' hearers. Uh, and often in this context, wedding celebrations would go on for days. They knew how to party back in the day, I'm telling you. Uh, and I just want to kind of walk through this passage, and then at the end, I'll, I'll try to kind of just bring this home and apply this to our context here, okay? So Jesus begins, verse 1, by saying, at that time, now you might wonder, at what time? Well, just prior to this, he's been talking uh, 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 about the generation prior to his coming. And, And just a quick side note, if you want to read the Bible well, it is really important to read in context. And so what that means is you read, you're reading a verse, read what comes before it. And they read what comes after. And so as we read what comes before this, we see that that is actually the setting here. He's been talking about the time before his return, his second coming. And he's saying at that time, 
And then he goes on to describe the condition of the church in that moment. Uh, now, if, you, if you're new to uh, the Bible, if you're new to Christianity, uh, as Christians, we talk about uh, Jesus' first coming, uh, which we celebrate at Christmas when, when, when the Son of God came and, and dwelt among us. Theologians call that the incarnation. Uh, and we also talk about Jesus' second coming because prior to his ascension into heaven, he promised that one day he would return and when he comes, he's gonna set everything right in this world. And so there's the first coming, there's the second coming, but there's another layer of relevance that I want to highlight here. There was a medieval theologian, a guy named Bernard of Clairvaux, and he wrote how in between Christ's first coming and his second coming uh, is what he would describe as a third coming. And what he's talking about is how in this in-between time, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, that he can actually come to us in, in fresh ways in his, with his spirit and, and, and in power. And so his point was that we need to prepare for that just as much as we need to prepare for his second coming. And, and he points to John chapter 14, verse 23, where Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them. That's kind of referring to the ways that, that Christ comes to us, even in this in-between time, but between his first coming and second coming. So, so with that said, um, that really the focus of this passage is Jesus' second coming, but I want us to, to listen and kind of read this with a vantage point to how Christ might want to come to us, even now in a fresh way, in this in-between time, Okay. So Jesus says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven, now kingdom of heaven or or kingdom of God, this was Jesus' central theme in his teaching, in his proclamation. And what this refers to is God's rule and reign. Uh, The Bible tells that Jesus is actually king, that, that he has a kingdom. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. And therefore, those who live under his rule and reign would be considered to be living in his kingdom, okay? So Jesus says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, to our ears, this phrase, ten virgins, that sounds a little strange, right? Uh, What this is, this is just an old school way of talking about bridesmaids. And so these are young, uh, unmarried women, they're in the bridal party. And, And what these bridesmaids represent, however, is the church, and, and in, in some passages, if you read through the Bible, the church is represented as the bride. But here in this passage, the church is pictured as bridesmaids. Now, you can't trip up on those uh, different images. It's all just Jesus has different purposes and different stories. So you just roll with it, okay? Um, now, it says there are 10 bridesmaids. I don't think there's any hidden meaning. It's just a, a, a round number. Uh, but again, what these bridesmaids represent is actually you and me, the church, Jesus' church in the time before he comes again. Now, the bridegroom represents Jesus. Earlier in Matthew's gospel in chapter 9, Jesus refers to himself actually as the bridegroom. So this is referring to him. Uh, and by the way, I, I never understood the word bridegroom. Is it, were we talking about the bride or the groom? I never knew. We're, we're talking about the groom, just so you know. Uh, talking about the groom. But what this parable is about as how we are called to prepare for Christ's coming. And, and so the way Jesus frames this and sort of unpacks this force is through this image of a wedding. So it says in, in that these 10 virgins, they, they, they took their lamps and, and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
And what this tells us is that these young ladies actually had a job to do. They weren't mere attenders. Again, they were in the bridal party. They had a particular role to play. And their job was to be ready to welcome the bridegroom when he came. And to do that, we're told that they, they were to have oil and lamps. I'll explain what that means in a moment. But Jesus goes on and he says that some of these bridesmaids were foolish and some of them were wise. And if you've been to enough weddings, you know that that can be the case, right? (laughs) Same thing goes for groomsmen, by the way. I won't tell stories, but um, it's a whole other deal. But um, you might wonder in what way were some of these bridesmaids foolish and some of them wise? Well, verse 3 The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, the simple way of contrasting these two groups of young ladies is is to say that the ones who were wise were wise because they were ready. And the ones who were foolish were said to be foolish because they were unprepared. That's really the issue, the issue of being prepared. And and, and what Jesus is saying, that when he comes, there will actually be many people in his church who will not be ready. So this is sort of a sober heads up. Hey, we need to take notice here. Some will not be ready. So the call is to be ready. Now, to help us understand this, I want to share just, just, just for a moment, if you'd like me to geek out for just a minute, uh, on, on, on what, what did an ancient Middle Eastern wedding look like? Because in order to fully understand uh, the impact of this parable, we need to understand something about that context, okay? Because Jesus here is they would have understood all that, okay? Uh, so, so an ancient Middle Eastern wedding would have looked uh, different in many ways from a wedding we would know uh, today. So these weddings, they would not take place in a church or a synagogue. They wouldn't take place in a courthouse. Instead, they typically took place in the home of the groom. And sometimes these celebrations would go on for days. And at a particular time, the, the, the groom would come with his, with his wedding party to the bride's home. But the, but the trick is that the bride would never know exactly when he would come uh, and so since the, the precise time uh, of his arrival was uncertain, the bride and her party were expected to be ready at any time, at any time. And, and part of that's because also the groom would often arrive in the evening, okay? So in these, in these days, it was the responsibility of the bridesmaids to carry lamps or, or, or torches since this was often at night. And their role really would be to escort the couple in a procession from the bride's home to the groom's home and to sort of light the way with their lamps, with their torches. That was was their job. So so Jesus' ears, again, they would have understood this context and um, the wise bridesmaids were wise in light of that because they brought extra oil in their jars, uh, knowing that they likely would have had need for that as they processed, as they walked in the dark, okay? Now, the foolish bridesmaids, we were told, they were, they were not prepared. They had lamps, but they had no oil. So they were, they were really not prepared, uh, really, for, for what they were uh, supposed to be preparing for. And so there's therefore no way they could have actually fulfilled their role in, in this whole procession. And it's like somehow 
somehow they, the, these, these foolish bridesmaids that Jesus talks about, it's like somehow they, they lost sight of their, their whole purpose. And, and that can actually be easy to do in life, whether through apathy or distraction or whatever that may be. Uh, somehow they lost sight of what was to be their number one job. So um, Jesus' call in this is really that it, it's not enough to be a bridesmaid. He wants us to be bridesmaids, if you will, who are ready for him when he comes. And, and so that, that means, furthermore, that it's not enough simply uh, to, to be in church or to be Christian, that he wants us to be ready when he comes so that we can welcome him and shine our lights brightly. And so he doesn't want anyone to miss out on that. So that's why he tells this story. So the story continues, verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, in the culture of Jesus' day, it was not uncommon for the groom to make various stops on the way to the bride's home, and so they shouldn't have been, these bridesmaids, they should not have been surprised that there was a delay here, okay? Uh, But one of the things this verse tells us is that Jesus comes in his timing. (laughs) He he comes in his timing, and, and, and often... In my experience, typically, uh, that's not my timing, <laughs> and it's probably not your timing, and that's just really important for us to understand. That, that's hard for us, right? I mean, I, I don't like delays. How about you? Uh, I don't like to wait. So how many of you have ever gotten an email from Amazon.com that said, we are very sorry to tell you that, that your order has been delayed? How many of you read that and you're like, yes! I mean, we don't do that. Why? We don't like delays. We don't like to wait. I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait in traffic. I don't like to wait in the doctor's office. I don't, definitely don't like to wait at Disneyland. Um, uh, so, but here's, I, I want you to hear something here. That sometimes when, when a delay is of God, it is actually a mercy. Might be a new thought for you. And God's been driving this home in my life. There's some things I've been waiting on for years. And he's been teaching me, at least in, in this case, for me, this has actually been a mercy in my life. There's some things he's getting me ready for that were they to come too early, I would not have been ready. And, and so often, not always, sometimes there's delays the Bible tells us that are not of God. The enemy's trying to hold us back from something God has. So that I can't get a whole systematic theology on this. But I want you to know that when, when a delay truly is of God, that, that often that this is a mercy. And, and so that might be just a fresh way of looking at this uh, for you. But of course, with, with, with a delay comes a certain temptation. And so what is that? Well, in, in the words of the story, the temptation is to get sleepy. And actually, the temptation is to get so sleepy that you just eventually just kind of fall asleep spiritually. And so um, suppose you've been, you've been waiting on God to do something in your life. Perhaps you feel like God's given you a promise about something. And you've been like waiting, waiting, waiting. Eventually, it can be tempting to think, well, who knows how long until he's coming? And so what's the point of waiting around? Maybe I'll just move on and... I don't know, occupy myself with other things. That, that is the temptation, right? To get just caught up in, in, in other things, lesser things, and, and distracted. Uh, but there's actually a deeper temptation, and it's this. And it's to start to wonder and worry, maybe he's not coming at all. And, 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 and when you're in that place, that is a very hard place to be, to think, maybe I, maybe I should just, just give up. Maybe I should just throw in the towel, Maybe, maybe God's forgotten about me. Maybe, maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe I should just give up. And, and, and perhaps some of you here today, that, that's where you are. Some of you perhaps, you're, you're teetering on, on, on that place. Maybe should I just throw in the towel? And I, I want you to know that, that, that God does not want you to give up. I'll share a story to illustrate this. 
Um, so when I was a freshman in high school, <laughs> I played water polo. Now, this is ridiculous because I was not a good swimmer. Uh, but all, all my friends were playing, so I figured, okay, I'll play water polo. And uh, this was back in the day before they, like, I don't know, they've, they've since, at least my high school, they softened things up. But back in the day, we had two weeks of what we described as hell week. And these were double-day practices. We'd do all the land work the football guys did. And then we'd jump in the pool and swim until we were about ready to puke. And we did that two times a day, two weeks, and it was brutal. So as you can imagine, in the middle of that, I was thinking, huh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll quit. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll just quit. And maybe, you know. And one day, my oldest brother walked into the room, and he looked me in the eye, and he said three simple words, but that's all it took. He said, you don't quit. You don't quit. And I don't know, just simple words, but somehow that like shifted something in my soul. I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to quit. And I said, I feel like God's looking at some of you today. You're you're struggling. You're tempted to throw in the towel. And he says, you don't quit. You, you don't quit. Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we might know we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So there was a delay. And, and as a result, these bridesmaids, they, they, they fell asleep. And, and what I think this speaks to is, is a lack of expectation that they had for Jesus to come. Now, the wise ones, they were prepared, but even though they were prepared on one level, on the other hand, look, we see here that they too fell asleep, and, and they weren't on tiptoes waiting, expecting, longing, seeking, you know, for the bridegroom to come. Otherwise, they, they wouldn't have fallen asleep along with the foolish bridesmaids. But they, we are told, fell asleep too. And, and then we read this in verse 6. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Now let's stop there. So Jesus is telling us, again, he's telling us about the time before he returns. And he's telling us again that during this time that that the church will have fallen into a deep sleep, a deep slumber. And as you look at the history of the church, you will also see that in those times preceding a great move of God, when God comes in a fresh way, what, what we might describe as revival or awakening or renewal, there's different language in the words of Bernard of Clairvaux, a, th- a kind of third coming. Before those times, we always see that there is sort of this spiritual sleepiness that comes upon the church preceding that, okay? And, 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 and so what we read here. Uh, is that something happens that a cry rang out that woke everyone up. Both, note this, both the wise and the foolish alike. Now, we are told that this happens at, at midnight. Some translations say in the middle of the night. The point here is not the exact time. The point is that Jesus came when people were not expecting him. That is the point. And, and so this is a warning for those who aren't ready to, to get ready But this is also, I believe, a word of encouragement for those who are ready. Because think of this. Just think of our situation. Things may look bad in our culture. The church may be in decline, and it is, actually, if you look at statistics. But in the moment when people least expect it, that is when Jesus comes. And so, therefore, what I can say to you is, get ready. (laughs) Get ready. When the moments when you least expect it, that is when Jesus loves to come. And so we read that this cry goes out. People are awakened uh, to their true condition. And it is in this moment that the foolish bridesmaids finally see that they are not ready, that they're unprepared. Verse 7, then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. 
The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But we are told, while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who already went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. So we see again that, that when Jesus comes, that, and again, the focus here is on his second coming. We're kind of listening also on this other level. But when he comes, that, that some will be ready and some won't. But when that moment arrives, it will be too late to get ready, okay? And so I, I believe that um, sometime uh, the, in, in the near future, so again, there's kind of the focus is Jesus' second coming, but I also believe that at some time that uh, even in the near future that God's gonna move among us in a greater way, and so he's calling us to be ready through this passage. Now, just a, a quick comment on this dialogue between the wise uh, virgins and, and the unwise virgins. So, so the foolish virgins, when they awake, they realize they have no oil in their lamps. And so they, 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 they panic and they go to those who have the oil and say, hey, would you lend us some of your oil? They respond saying, you know, if we do that, there won't be enough for all of us. You might wonder, well, what, what, what is this teaching? Well, the point is not to teach uh, the virtue of selfishness. <laughs> That's not what this is about. You have to understand a parable basically has one main point. And so you can't kind of press the details and all the corners too hard uh, or you just miss it and it'll unravel. But really what this is, is, is trying to help us see is that you can't borrow someone else's faith. That you can't borrow someone else's intimacy with God. You can't borrow someone else's anointing and, 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 and relationship with the Holy Spirit. That, that really this is something we all have to develop on our own. You cannot just get that from a podcast. You have to develop that on your own. That is what Jesus is telling us here. And you have to know that that takes time. And so that's part of why there's this sense of, hey, you need to get ready before Jesus comes, right? Because that takes time, that that is the fruit of a life lived with God. You can't, you can't cram for that. When I was in college, I used to love to cram for tests. That was just, that was my thing. But one thing you cannot cram for is Jesus coming. You just can't. You, you have to live a life of preparation, so Jesus is saying, store up this oil now before I come. Now, we've walked through most of this story, so let me boil this down now to what I believe are really the two main points that the Lord wants us to hear today and really walk away with it. And the first point is simply this. It's that Jesus is coming. And again, uh, the point of this passage, the focus is on Jesus' second coming, that one day he will return visibly and all shall see, and he's going to set everything right in this world. But as we've also talked about, that he can also come to us in fresh ways in this in-between time between his first coming and his second coming, and he wants us to be equally ready for that as well. Uh, and again, some call this might be an outpouring of the Spirit, an awakening, a revival. Different language can be used, but I really believe that that is the accent that God really wants us to kind of key in on today. And, and I want to share with you something that I believe the Lord told me uh, sometime in the past month. I, I don't share that lightly. Uh, I feel a little vulnerable in sharing this, but I really believe the Lord uh, wants me to share this with you. Uh, sometime in the past month, I really believe I heard the Lord say, prepare for an outpouring prepare for an outpouring. And what that means, if I heard that right, is that the Lord, first of all, the Lord intends to pour out his spirit upon us in greater measure. And um, I could share with you just the most amazing stories. I keep running into and talking, not only in our church, but other people even in, in our area, North Orange County, of other people who are hearing the same uh, thing. And I, I wish I had time to share all the stories. 
Um, but that's the first thing that, 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 that tells me that, that the Lord intends to pour out his spirit uh, in, in a great way among us. That's something we've actually been praying for since we, we started this church because the spiritual soil of this area is actually very hard. Uh, and, and so we've been praying, God, would you pour out your spirit among us in, in greater measure? That we want to see our friends, our neighbors, our neighborhoods, our cities reached with the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've been, we've been praying uh, for that. But the second thing this word told me was that if the word is to prepare, then that means that I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm not ready. And so I've been seeking the Lord in a very deep way in the past month saying, Lord, how are you calling me to prepare? What does that uh, look like? And so today I want to invite you in on that with me to seek the Lord on that question. So, so just if you know me at all, if you consider me your pastor, I, I pray that you will, you will take that word to heart, that you will join me in praying over that and that we would seek the Lord together uh, in that. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like. If the Lord were to pour out his spirit, what does that look like? I don't know. When will that happen? I don't know. My sense is that that's coming sooner than later. And so there's a sense of urgency, I feel, for us to really be, really be prepared. Uh, and, and again, I, I, there are a number of people actually even in our community have heard the same thing. For example, um, our dear friend Carrie Cruz, who oversees our small groups with her husband, Dennis, she heard basically the same thing around the same time. And so anytime I hear the same thing as Carrie Cruz, I just know. I've heard from God. I just, I just know. I just know. That is like the best confirmation in the world. In the world. And so, no, I, I mean that sincerely, Carrie. Carrie is an amazing person. But on that note, um, uh, I, I, would just, I would like to invite Carrie just to share what she felt like the Lord shared with her. And we can just, yeah, let's just, just invite Carrie up. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. And... Um, I would feel more comfortable myself um, also saying that this feels really vulnerable to me. And um, I'm not going to cry, but I need to say that because I take it seriously. Like these, um, these are not pretty words to me. They are beautiful words, but they're not just pretty words. And so um, I actually believe God is inviting us into something really good. And it's an invitation to take action because he doesn't want us to miss out. And so I just ask that you would receive them not as pretty words, but as an actual invitation from the Lord, and then um, do what First Thessalonians 5 tells us. Um, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks, don't quench the spirit, um, do not treat prophecies lightly or with contempt, but test them, keep what's good and throw out what's evil. Okay. That makes me feel better. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I uh, was spending some time in worship and uh, listening prayer, and an image flashed across my mind that it was so random that it caught my attention. It was of my mom's dining room table from when I was a child, and my mom kept a vase of artificial flowers there or a bowl of plastic fruit, beautiful, and uh, some tall, two tall tapered candles beside them. But what was significant in this image was the fact that these candles were covered with cellophane. And then I remembered, oh yeah, my mom used to put the candles out on display as a decoration, but keep them in the packaging that they had been manufactured in. And that was to preserve them from the dust and the fadings because she couldn't go out and purchase them easily. So she rarely lit the candles. They were just there for decorations. And they, there they stood, tall, beautiful, but unable to be lit because the cellophane wrapping kept them bound. They were protected, but they were bound. 
I became a little sad as I began to identify with the candles, and I kind of felt their heart longing. I realized God was probably speaking to me, so I picked up a pen and I wrote down what I was hearing, which was at first a poem, and then I heard these words. My spirit is moving. Great love is coming. You can't make it come, but you can prepare your heart. You can't light the fire. Only God can do that, but you can prepare your heart. Make room. Let God remove the cellophane wrapping. Stand tall with head looking up in anticipation and longing, like the story Jesus told of the ten virgins. I asked God about the cellophane, and I said, I don't want to miss out on anything, God. What is the cellophane over my heart? What's keeping me satisfied so I don't hunger and thirst for you? What is my affection turning to instead of turning to you? What addiction keeps me preoccupied? What fear or caution wraps around me like a false plastic e protection? Who do I hold resentment against? Who do I need to forgive and release and bless? And he began to show me. And he still is. <laughs> the word preparation is what that cellophane is all about. It's preparing our hearts, letting God gently remove the cellophane so we can be lit with his fire, the fire of his love, consumed by him and for him. I felt like it wasn't just a word for me, so I、um, shared it with Pastor Michael. And then I wrote in my journal. I felt like God was showing me some of us here want more of God. We want more of the Holy Spirit, but we're nervous. We're anxious. We're anxious about what it will look like, what it will require of us. And it's like we're wrapped in caution tape. Some of us are wrapped up in affections or addictions. We don't know how to get the cellophane off, but God does. We're so used to living clothed in plastic. And God wants to free us to burn for Him. And burn with his love, filling us. Some of us have the very tips of our candles, the cellophane peeled away, like I used to do for my mom to make it look more real. And it reveals a little wick that longs to be lighted and ignited with God's love and with the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's just more shedding and more letting go that God is inviting us into. He wants to take us deeper, and it's a good thing. Deeper love equals deeper joy. It's a picture of hope, of passion, zeal, desire, ardor. It's not a picture of doing more or being better. It's a picture of surrendering, of inviting God to do whatever He wants to do, to change whatever He wants to change. It's a picture of God's desire. It's a picture of our desire. It's a picture of longing. God longs for us, our longing is for God. It's an invitation to spend time with God to reveal these things because He wants to do it individually. Maybe even、um, holding a candle in your hand with the cellophane wrapping on if you want to buy one at CVS. It's a picture that comes with a promise, and if we will prepare, He will come and, he will, and we will be able to receive Him when He does. So this morning that I、um, saw the morning that I saw the image, I I got the image and I got these words at the same time that I saw we're forming a poem. So I, I wrote them down. And I feel like I should share the poem as well because that's how it first came. And、um, yeah, so I'm going to share that.、Um, 
Here we go. Cellophane-wrapped tapers. Plastic tightly twisted up over white wicks. Stand in two little crystal holders on mom's dining room table. Waiting. Decorating. Posing pretty. But... Listen. Lean closer. Hear their tiny cry? We want to burn for you. Be spent on you. It's what we were made to do. Dusty, once white wicks, freed from their pl plastic prison, yet never set ablaze. Cotton, twisty heads still, holding high with hope, waiting, decorating, stretching to be seen, but listen, lean right in, hear their tiny cry. See me, pick me, unwrap me. See this white wick, set this one on fire. These very words, set prettily on a page, are just cellophane-wrapped tapers, unless they become incense, prayer, yearning, burning, rising to you. So listen, lean in close, hear my cry. Come, fire of God, come, love of God, come, Holy Spirit, let our hearts burn for you. Thank you so much, Carrie. So like Carrie, I, I invite you to join us in weighing these words and seeking the Lord together. So the first point really is just that Jesus is coming and then the last point is simply that we're called therefore to get ready. And I just, I'm gonna kind of just kind of bring this to a close. You know, I wanna get practical. And, and so you might wonder how, how do we prepare for Jesus to come, whether his second coming or for him to come among us in a fresh way. And, and uh, there are a couple things, kind of a couple clues in this passage. Uh, in, in the first, it says at the end, to watch, that we are uh, to watch. And so part of that is a word about spiritual uh, alertness. Uh, Jesus says in verse 13, verse 13, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So that is an invitation to being spiritually alert, to not being lulled to sleep by distractions or the things that would consume our attention uh, away from God. But the second thing we have here, it says in verse 12, when Jesus, he addresses those who are unprepared who come to him, he says, I never knew you. I did, I did not know you. And so what that indicates that central to being prepared for Jesus coming is living a life of knowing Jesus Christ. And when we're talking about knowing him, what this is talking about is really kind of a relational knowledge, a personal knowledge, it's not just knowing about him, not just knowing you know, certain facts uh, about him, uh, but really knowing him in a deep and, and personal way. And, and so just a couple implications of that is, is that if you're here today, if, if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is available to you today. Jesus came, he, he lived a life you should have lived, he, he died the death you should have died on the cross that you might enter into a saving relationship with him. And so if you're here today, you've never entered into that, I would encourage you before you leave, talk to someone on our prayer team. They'll be here off to the side during communion. They would love to explain to you how you can enter into that and lead you in a prayer. And so that is just an invitation. But I know for many of us here that, that we've entered into that relationship but sometimes that we can kind of neglect that, right? And so the oil in our lamps can kind of run dry. And so really the invitation is, is to cultivate that relationship, to grow in it. Um, um, and, and really I think central to that is prayer. Uh, Thomas Merton, who was one of the great spiritual writers uh, of the past century, was once asked, somebody came up to him and, you know, uh, how, how can I grow in my prayer life? And he said three simple words uh, that you might want to write down. Write down, take the time. <laughs> it's kind of as simple as that. 
for most of us. We need to take the time to be with him, to let that oil develop and grow in our lamps. And uh, I just, and with that, I, I think it's sometimes in the Christian life, we can kind of, I don't know, uh, I've seen this funny thing happen where it's almost like we can put all the emphasis on whether, uh, you know, we, we, we prayed uh, the sinner's prayer, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, but really the most important thing is, are you living that life today? Are you living a life of seeking God and surrendering to him today? That is the call for each of us, that we might be ready for him uh, to come. And, and just to make this very, very practical, I want to just invite us to, to ask the Lord in this time, uh, how can I prepare? And you can put the questions up on the screen. How can I prepare for more of you in my life? Or a different way of putting it is, how can I prepare for what you want to do in this season? I, th- I think that would be really wonderful if we sought the Lord in that together. I've been doing that. And as I've been seeking God, I found that he's led me to remove some things from my life. And then he's led me to add in some other things into my life. And so uh, I just invite you to seek the Lord in that. Again, as Carrie shared, we can't make the Lord come, but we can do is make space. So there's nothing that would get in the way for what he wants to do in our lives. Let's pray together. So we thank you for all the ways you're at work among us, God. We thank you uh, for your great love. We thank you for how so many people are uh, being impacted by your love, Lord, we pray that in this time that you would prepare us in an even deeper way for all that you want to do in our midst. I, I pray, Lord, that in this week you'd be speaking to each of us about what that looks like for each of us, that we might be ready when you come. We bless your name. Amen.